Welcome to the First Take podcast and thanks for listening. I'm Simon King, an editor for First Word Pharma Plus. On this week's show, we discuss US approval of Abecma, a new CAR-T therapy for multiple myeloma. I speak to Novartis's Mike Fraser about the successful launch of its SMA gene therapy Zolgensma in Europe. And we ask why the Federal Trade Commission is looking to block Illumina's proposed acquisition of Grail in the cancer diagnostics market. Late last week, the FDA approved Bristol-Myers Squibb and Bluebird Bio's Abecma as a later-line treatment for multiple myeloma. It's a landmark approval for a number of reasons, as both the first CAR-T therapy approved for multiple myeloma and the first approved CAR-T product to target BCMA, an antigen which is overexpressed on myeloma cells. Sarah Harris is a senior analyst for First Word's Therapy Trends team. She is currently interviewing a dozen of the world's most prestigious myeloma key opinion leaders about the future treatment landscape. I asked her what experts are saying about Abecma. Sarah, why are key opinion leaders enthusiastic about this product? KOLs are really impressed, actually, um, by the response rates and the depth of responses seen. Um, So the experts repeatedly emphasize that it's important to evaluate uh, the data Um, for either cell in context. So these are patients with advanced and extremely treatment refractory disease, Um, the so-called triple refractory. So they progressed after therapy with a PI, with an IBID, with an anti-CD38. So triple refractory patients, they're they're considered an unmet need um, by many oncologists. And in the KARMA trial, um, they'd received, the patients had received a median of five prior lines and to see response rates of 73% with a 33% um, complete response rate or better um, is described as pretty spectacular um, by some in the area. Um, You know, the response rates are more than double what we've seen with Valantamab, Maldofin, and Celanexor. And I mentioned those two because they're sort of relatively recently approved um, in this very same setting. But I mean, in terms of, you know, the the reservations as well, um, the major recurring theme here continues to be concern regarding durability. Um, which I'm sure you've, you know, you've heard of before met numerous times. Um, and the question that's raised here is, okay, so we have these amazing responses initially, but if they're only relatively short-lived, is it worth the logistical complexity and financial cost um, that's part of the package with a CAR-T cell therapy? And I'd say the the KOLs that I've spoken to um, recently are a little bit split on that. There are some that, that claim Ida sellers perhaps faced unfair press on durability as the medium PFS um, 
in the Karma trial, which was um, on which this FDA approval was based, um, was nine months. And that's actually pretty good for this cohort. And, you know, another point made is that the bar may have been raised by the success of CAR-T in lymphoma, where it's potentially curative, whereas there's almost nothing with curative potential in myeloma. So it's perhaps an unrealistic expectation that patients won't relapse. They, you know, KOLs really are, you know, relatively optimistic, but there are some that are still talking about the durability issue and, of course, the, the logistical um, burden that's there as well. Okay, and, and on that note, you know, where do they potentially see the product fitting into the treatment paradigm? Because obviously it's been approved as a later line therapy, but I believe there are studies ongoing to evaluate it in, you know, earlier lines of treatment. The approval obviously is in um, triple refractory patients, pretty, pretty late line, um, and it will be used there, won't be suitable for everyone. Um, so it will be, remain somewhat of a boutique um, a boutique therapy. And there's, you know, there's um, differing views on whether it would be used earlier. Um, it is being trialed um, in, in earlier settings, as are other CAR-Ts, um, and eventually, perhaps it will. But I think for the foreseeable future, KOLs think it will, it will remain um, very much in the, the triple refractory uh, population. Um, and there'll be some patients who will rather receive belantamab, even if the data aren't as, um, as strong there. And, you know, their oncologist will explain that to them because they perhaps have been treated by their local oncologist for many years. You know, myeloma um, patients tend to have multiple therapy lines. They may be treated for many, you know, several years and they build up their relationship with their oncologist and they just want to have something they can get from their local oncologist. They don't want to travel, you know, perhaps another hundred miles to go to a, a treatment center and have to stay out of town um, for some time. So, you know, the other thing that actually we should, we should certainly mention and that comes up in my conversations with KOLs is that Idacel is certainly considered um, a first-generation CAR-T in myeloma. So it'll have a place for a few years, but it is expected to be superseded um, at some point by more effective CAR-Ts. Um, and obviously Janssen's um, second-generation cytal cell is, is the one on you know, most people's lips there. And then, of course, the BCMA targeting bispecifics um, will come in as well. Um, but that's kind of a whole a whole other conversation for another day, I think. Okay, excellent. Thank you, Sarah. The relatively recent launch of three new life-changing treatments for spinal muscular atrophy represents one of the pharma industry's biggest success stories of recent years. Momentum was maintained this week with European approval granted to Roche's oral SMA therapy, Rizdaplam. I caught up with Mike Fraser, European General Manager for Novartis's gene therapy business, about the success and challenges of launching Zalgensma for the treatment of SMA. But I think one of the, the, uh, the reasons for our, our strong launch has been just the value that the product offers, the, the unbelievable data 
and the acknowledgement by stakeholders of what that means, whether it be payers or treating physicians, because people have been willing to work with us and do things that we've never seen happen before in terms of provide access, even before price and reimbursement has been agreed to. You know, we had these what we call day one access programs in multiple countries across Europe where we had access early. And then um, and, and we've been also open and innovative in terms of schemes that we've offered to help um, the governments give access to the product, whether it be simple discounts, whether it be risk sharing programs, whether it be annuities. So we, we've worked really collaboratively with the governments to enable access to the product. And that's helped us have, and, and then with the product itself, obviously, that's helped us have the launch we've had. And I think there's, there's now acknowledgement in certain populations based on the data where this product really, really is beneficial. And in terms of the, the, the pandemic, how has that impacted, um, if at all, you know, the rollout of the product? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, we, we, we initially thought that it would be slower. It's obviously been harder to meet people and there are complexities with gene therapies. I mean, it is a genetically modified organism and we need to do training of centers and what have you. So we thought initially that this would be barriers for us. Um, but actually, the I guess the urgency that people have uh, want to treat, whether it be a parent, obviously, or even the centers, they we they we found ways working with um, obviously virtual technology to do stuff that we thought we wouldn't be able to do unless you could do it face to face. So from our expectations and where we are on our launch trajectory, the pandemic hasn't had as much of an impact that we would have thought it would have had on us. Novartis announced uh, last week that it's closing one of its gene therapy production facilities in the US and will be supplying Zolgensma from its other facilities. Would you kind of characterize this as a typical part of the learning curve with a new technology such as gene therapy? Absolutely. I mean, the, the, everyone is still learning the space, right? So as we're able to find efficiencies in processes, and we've also got to remember, we've got to look at our long range forecasts, which which will typically change over time, especially when you're dealing with rare diseases. I mean, there's there's what there's 800 million people in Europe and we're trying to forecast, you know, 30 of them a month. So, so things change over time. But but I think most importantly is the efficiencies around processes. We've realized that, yeah, we can uh, we, we're now going to work with the two facilities that we will have in Libertyville and North Carolina. Obviously, this is outside of, of the SMA space, but the last six months have seen a number of safety concerns raised about experimental gene therapies being developed for other indications. What are your thoughts um, about the potential implications of this on the on the kind of broader gene therapy field? It's new and people are still figuring them all out. Well, what, what I can't comment on really the safety aspects of other gene therapies, I can only really talk about our uh, Zolgensman, our product. And to date, we've treated now more than a thousand patients with a very, very positive risk benefit. It still continues to have an incredibly positive risk benefit profile. And as I said, we're seeing this in the continued strong uptake in our launch uptake across across the, the you know across the globe, where we're continuing to be successful. So, so yeah, I think there will be learnings, and I think that the, the value proposition of each gene therapy, or in of itself, in terms of what it can provide from a benefit and a risk point of view, will need to be evaluated individually. And one of the big questions about gene therapies, despite their enormous potential in terms of providing 
you know, a long-term treatment effect from a single infusion is how they fit with existing drug pricing and reimbursement systems. You've touched upon this in one of your prior answers, but, you know, what lessons have you learned on this front with, with Zelgensma? Yeah, this is, this is an interesting one because we can't, we, 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 we're entering a new space for everyone, especially for um, payers and governments. Um, you know, we're talking about life transforming therapies that are, uh, it's a one-time treatment. And if you think about it, every other treatment to date is, is chronic. In other words, you take it over a period of time, whether it be daily or weekly or annually, whatever, monthly. So now you're saying to someone, we want you to, pay, you know, we, we, the cost of the treatment is this, but this treatment lasts for your whole life. And working with people to understand what their, um, what their issues are. So some people are worried more about annual budget impact. And they, to, to reduce annual budget impact, you can use tools like uh, like annuities. So you're not paying the whole amount up front, right? You, you're spreading it over a period of time. Other other people are more worried about the long-term benefit or, or benefits. Are we going to see the benefit of a term uh, over time? So we, 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 we worked with them and we offered things like um, risk-sharing programs where we've said if certain events happen or don't happen, then we will partake, we, we will partake in the risk and we'll figure out, you know, what we can do about that. So I think this this changing of the system, though, and getting people to be willing to change is what's going to be important. And I think this is just the start. I think we're going to see a lot more either gene therapies or one-time therapies that are going to have long-term benefit. And it is going to cause the system to have to adapt. It's not going to change because chronic therapies aren't going away, but we're going to have to adapt to new treatments coming into the into the marketplace. What should we be looking out for next from uh, Novartis's own gene therapy pipeline? We're now committed to the space, right? We've, we've got Zolgensma, we've built the platform, we've invested in manufacturing. So we have, um, we have a nice pipeline. We have a very attractive pipeline in the gene therapy space where we're looking at um, diseases like Rett's and Frederick's ataxia, so also neuromuscular rare diseases such a privilege to be working in a space where we're you know we are we are changing medicine if you want and 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 it is it is um, that responsibility and that sense of purpose that we have when you you're saving the lives of babies is something that drives us all to to do what we do and it's just it is an amazing experience to be a part of this doesn't matter the treatment whether it's gene therapy or any of the other therapies the sooner you treat the baby the, the earlier you can treat them, the better the outcome. And everyone knows this. So this the sense of urgency to get something in place that can enable the treatment early was a, a mutually shared objective. And the best tool to uh, to identify these babies is what they call newborn screening. So it's a little it's a little um, blood test that's done on the babies at the time that they're born, and um, and then they then they're diagnosed. Otherwise. You've got to make sure that someone identifies it's it's um, it's potentially SMA, maybe it's a GP, and then it's got to be referred, and eventually gets referred to a pediatric neurologist who eventually diagnoses and eventually treats. That takes time, and remember what I said: time is of the essence. So newborn screening is the tool. The issue in Europe is newborn screening. There is no newborn screening in most countries, and so together with the community, and like I said, this is applicable for all products, not only us, right? So together with the community, with the industry, we're starting to work, we're starting to see Germany have announced that they will implement national newborn screening. Poland has announced they will implement national newborn screening. 
And most of the countries in Europe now have announced significant pilots to start newborn screening with the goal to get to national implementation, which is great news for this community. Earlier this week, the US Federal Trade Commission authorised a lawsuit to block Illumina's proposed acquisition of the liquid biopsy developer Grail. The FTC contests that the deal could diminish innovation in the US market for multi-cancer early detection tests. The company said that it is committed to the deal for Grail, which was originally spun out of Illumina five years ago. This is, of course, not the first time that Illumina has faced pushback from the FTC which deemed its proposed acquisition of Pacific Biosciences in 2018 to be anti-competitive. The FTC has also recently announced that it will be scrutinising pending and future pharma and biotech acquisitions more closely. I spoke to First Word Health Tech's Tina Tan about this week's events. So Tina, what are the FTC's concerns about this deal? Hi, Simon. So uh, what you said earlier, you're right about, you know, the FTC having had issues with uh, Illumina's uh, previous uh, deal with PecBio. And of course, that one, as we know, you know, didn't uh, go through. Illumina decided to abandon it. Um, now, to understand, you know, the difference between what the issue, what the FTC's issue is uh, with uh, the Grail deal, just... Um, I'm going to give a quick explanation, you know, as to why it differs from what their objections were to the PacBio. So their objections to the Illumina and PacBio deal, the Pacific Biosciences deal, was more of the sort of objection you'd see in terms of they didn't want Illumina to get more uh, market share of the next generation sequencing market. So Illumina is a specialist in next generation sequencing, specifically, you know, um, uh, long read uh, sequencing and PacBio uh, is a specialist in short read sequencing. So, you know, by acquiring, if they had acquired PacBio, they would have broadened out their portfolio and gained a bigger share in uh, next gen sequencing overall. Now with this Grail deal, it's different. You know, this is a vertical integration because Grail doesn't sell sequencing technology. Its product is a test that can detect signs of disease uh, across a range of multiple cancers. So you go in, you know, have a single blood draw, uh, and from that you could be asymptomatic, and from that uh, they will detect whether you have signs of uh, one or potentially even more cancers. You know, based from that single blood draw. So um, in order for Grail to do that test, it uses next generation sequencing instruments, which is what Illumina sells. So the problem here is that there are other companies like Grail, which also develop multi-cancer tests, and they also use Illumina sequences. So that's what the FTC's issue is, is that you know if Grail becomes part of Illumina, what they're afraid of is Illumina might want to try and protect its own interest and, you know, impede um, Grail's rivals uh, R&D, you know, by raising the price of their sequences or maybe even delaying licensing agreements. So yeah, that, that's, that's what the problem is. And basically, you know, make Grail, keep Grail in the leading position in, in this market of like a multi-cancer test. Okay, thanks. And do you think the deal will ultimately happen based on what's been said this week? 
I, I did listen into uh, a webinar by uh, ethical analyst Vijay Kumar. He showed some statistics, you know, as to the FTC's uh, track record with like uh, putting up such sort of uh, legal battles with uh, with pending M and A acquisitions. And some of the stats that he showed, um, they looked at uh, there were fifty eight vertical integrations. Uh, such as the one, you know, between Grail and Lumina that were challenged by the FTC uh, slash um, Department of Justice um, between 1994 and 2018. And unbelievably or believably, I don't know, it's up to you, 90% of these actually did go through. There were, of course, remedies made. Um, but, you know, I think the key takeaway here is that 90%, the majority, quite a big uh, proportion of these deals, even though they were challenged by the FTC and went to trial, they um, they still went through. So Illumina has itself has already, you know, said, put its foot down and said it, the, the challenges, you know, there was like no foundation in the FTC sort of uh, challenges and arguments, and they are determined, Illumina is determined to, to see this one through. And what do you think the, the broader implications are um, stemming from, from the announcement by the FTC? If it doesn't go through, I mean, Grail will still go and uh, launch its test anyway. Grail is already more or less uh, on track to launch its gallery test. And um, there, there's been some news of it, you know, partnering with uh, lab, labs, big labs like uh, Quest Diagnostics to sort of use their phlebotomy um, services uh, once they uh, roll out the gallery. So Grail will still go ahead and, and do what they do. But I would say that maybe without the firepower of Illumina to help market it, it may not grow as fast as expected, which means, you know, this could present an opportunity for other multi-cancer test uh, companies to try and narrow the gap. Grill is some distance ahead, but there are other companies like uh, Thrive Earlier Detection, and that got bought by Exact Sciences, funny enough, and uh, that <laughs> Exact basically breezed through that acquisition in less than three months. Excellent, thanks, Tina. And for any further um, news and analysis about the health tech sector, please visit www.firstwordhealthtech.com. Thanks for listening to the First Take podcast. Please visit firstwordpharma.com for more industry news and analysis. Stay safe and have a great weekend. Thank you.